In other words, it's not because you're not doing anything. Uh, there are dead works and there are good works. Okay? So the rest of God is not a cessation from working. We also said for sure it's not a vacation. In other words, you do not relocate from Atlanta to Tulsa or to a cabin in Colorado, and because you've done that, you think you have rest. It's not cessation from work. It's not a vacation. Rather, it is a satisfaction that is derived from a very, very vibrant relationship with the Lord Jesus. I believe what the drama we just saw is trying to de depict is the promise that Jesus made to us in Matthew chapter 11. In verse 28, it says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, from gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your soul. So the rest of God that we're talking about, this rest of God that we're talking about, can only be found in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that by having a close and intimate relationship with him. That's how you and I are ever going to get into the rest of God. Now, earlier on, we gave you the equation. In other words, how would this happen? How can this happen? We threw out an equation. And we said that grace plus attending faith equals the rest of God. The Bible makes it clear in Ephesians chapter 2 in verse 8 that by grace are we saved and not through works, not of ourselves, but it's a gift of God so that any man will not boast. So grace plus faith, Hebrews eleven six. 6, without faith it's impossible to please God. All those that come to him must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So we know what the rest of God is. We know the equation on how to get there. We defined that already. And then we went on sometime a month ago, maybe a little more than that, to give you the evidence. How would you know when you arrive at the rest of God? How would you know when you are at rest? Four key things we said. Number one, you will have acquired the language of the kingdom. And we said that language is sonish. Sonish as in the Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ. In other words, when you enter into rest, whenever you read the scriptures, whether it's Isaiah or Jeremiah, Ezekiah, uh, Amos, whatever you read in the scriptures, when you enter into rest, when you're working in relationship with Jesus so much, everything else will be judged by who he is. Jesus becomes the plumb line through which we interpret all of scriptures. Plumb line. No matter what he said. Uh, we were in a meeting all week this last week and somebody raised a question uh, from Isaiah chapter 58 or 59. I can't remember which chapter now. And, 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 and the answer I give them is that simple. No matter what the scripture is saying. You have to interpret that scripture by laying it with the person of Jesus. Does he fit what Jesus said and did? If he doesn't, you discard it. He is a plumb line. How can I say this with confidence? I say it with the confidence because the scripture said so. Hebrews chapter 1, 
verse 1 and 2. What did it say? God, who at various times in the past spoke to us through the fathers and the prophets. So you see that scripture acknowledges that God spoke through the fathers and the prophets. But it now goes on to say, but in these last days, when is the last days? We are in the last days. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Jesus Christ is the final and complete revelation to mankind. Period. End of story. He is the final and complete revelation. So everything that will happen, that God will say, that God is saying, will be said by and through his son. Are you getting that? That's very, very important. Because in these days, you're going to have false prophets, giving false prophecies. It's going to sound good. It's going to tickle your ears. But I'm telling you, the only way you're going to be able to verify what's happening and what's being said, what God sanctions, is it has to fit with Jesus. End of story. That's number one. Evidence of internal rest. Number two, you also acquire the culture of the kingdom. And we define that to be love. In other words, in the kingdom of God, there is a culture. And this culture permeates everything God does or says. Love is the culture of the kingdom of God. And it's such a vast subject. We've been talking about that now for, oh, God knows how many weeks. And we're still going to be going on for a, for a, for a, for a little bit. Amen? Because you and I need to come to grip with how love works. And not only that, how we practice loving one another, both corporately as a body, as a church, and also back in your homes. In your homes. People ask me the question, how come it is sometimes every now and then church looks like people are down, they are, they are, they are low energy, they're not excited? It's very easy. The answer to that question is very easy. When a husband and wife is fighting at home, what do you think is going to happen in church? When, parents are, when, 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 when children are giving their parents hard time at home, when they come to church, what do you think is going to happen? That's not an automatic fix. So what I'm saying to us is, the first place, really, where the love of God is carried out and practiced is on the home front. That's where the rubber meets the road. No matter how much love we're working in, we're going to find out when you get home. How do you treat your wife? How do you treat your husband? How do you treat your parents and your, your children? That's where the calling card, the actual result is going to be tabulated the most. That's where we play it out all of the time. Our spouses always get the very brute end of what's going on in our lives. And unfortunately, if that is not fixed when you come to church, the church is just, is just an extension of what happens at home. So you acquire the language of the kingdom sonish. You develop the culture of the kingdom, which is love. And then there's the attitude of the kingdom which is thanksgiving. There is a particular way those of us who have arrived at rest should carry ourselves. It is automatic. Once you are resting, nothing that's happening around you phases you. You acknowledge them. You know those things are there. But an attitude of God in you kicks in. We're going to get to that later. And then, of course, the number four thing is we operate the system of the kingdom, which in this case is faith. It's faith. All right. 
I give all that very brief review so I can get to what I want to speak about today, which is very uh, simple. And today I just want to speak to us on, on the fact that you have to receive it to give it. You have to receive it to give it. You have to receive love if you're ever going to give love. Now, there are many of us, even as I speak, struggling with loving one person or the other. And I want to submit to you that the reason you are struggling in loving one another is simply because you've not really received love. Now, I didn't say love has not been given to you. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, in verse 5, that the love of God is being shared abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So God has given us love. That is a done deal. He would not have to give another iota of love than what is given us. The Holy Spirit has given it. But the key, the key, the challenge for many of us is even though God has given it, many of us have failed to acknowledge it and receive it and therefore, when we are called to give it, you cannot give it. It's not possible. Mr. Derek, can you give me $10,000 in your pocket right now? Are you sure? Look in your pocket. See, we see maybe, maybe there's a magic that will put it there. He cannot give me $10,000 on demand because he doesn't have it. No matter how good intention his intentions are, he can never give to me what he does not have. So you and I are struggling. Okay, pastor says we should love one another. But I can do it. Or I should love this person. I should love that person. So the critical issue for many of us is have we really tapped in, received, or abiding in the love of God that is available to us right now? Key issue. Let's look at a couple of scriptures. Um, Romans chapter 13 first. Romans 13. Romans 13. Verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, did you hear that? If there's any other commandment, all are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. But the caveat there is, you shall love your neighbor as what? Yourself. I cannot love my neighbor if I've, loved, I've not loved myself. It's not possible. Now, this is not talking about just making your, putting yourself on the pedestal and, and worshipping yourself. That's not what we're talking about here. But we are talking about you having a very healthy, ongoing sense of what God has already done in and for you. It is huge. And if we don't get to that point and to that place we will never fully really be able 
to function as a believer. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Let me read from verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ has forgiven you, so you must also. Look at verse 14. That's where I'm really going. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Bond of perfection. Another word that could be used is glue of perfection. Adhesive of perfection. If this building was built with bricks, tell me how strong the building will be if you just laid bricks on top of one another with no glue. You can stack them together and to the eye, they may look good. But if there's no adhesive or bond connecting brick to brick to brick, what happens when the wind comes? You guys are not talking to me. Do, you have any, do I have anybody that understands love here that can, that can talk to me? If there's no glue or adhesive, the bricks will just all crumble. Could that be what's happening to us? Could we be that we are building, but we have no adhesive? We are placing brick upon brick, but there's no bond to make it stick. And when you think you've built and you walk away, you come back, everything is down on the, on the, on the floor. So the Bible said to you and I, take caution how you build your life, the things you build into your life, relationships you are developing, things you are engaged in. And the Bible said everything you and I do must be with the consideration that love is what glues it together. Love is what makes it stick. Love is what makes it count. Huge. Huge. Now, there are two sides of this love. By now you should know that. There is the love that comes from God to you and I. And what I'm saying this morning is until you receive an appropriate the love that God gives to you, the love that God has for me and you, you really cannot give out love. You are in a love deficit. Your ability to give love is totally, completely based on your ability to have received love. You give out of what you have. Now, the good news here is God has given us love. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Love is already in, in, in the equation. Romans 5.5 5 again. Romans 5.8. God commends his love towards us. In that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. On and on and on. With an everlasting love, I've called you. With loving kindness, I've drawn you. I want us in this congregation to have our minds, hearts, saturated with unfailing, unconditional love of God. 
when everything else fails, when the music has stopped playing, when your friends cannot be found, when your husband or your wife is not around, if you have the anchor of your souls in recognizing and knowing God's unfailing love, you will stand. Now, go with me to Matthew chapter 18. You must receive it to give it. Matthew chapter 18. Verse 21. This is the story of the parable of the unforgiving servant. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. Then he goes on to tell them a story. Verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. By the way, 10,000 talents is about, right now in today's money, about $12 million. $12 million. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children all that he had, and a payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. That's about $400. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he will not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgive you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was very angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. Okay? So, my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespass. Let me find one more scripture and then I can, we can tie this up and go. Luke chapter 7, I believe it is. Yeah. Go with me to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7 verse 36. This is another reflection of a similar thought. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. You know, the question was, and I'm just throwing some of these things out, the question was raised during the week. We had a, uh, a meeting here during the week, and somebody was asking the question, 
how Jesus was so separated from sinners, how sin will separate uh, Jesus from you. And I tried to make the point that that's not the case. Uh, Jesus, when you, when you know him in his earthly ministry, he was more at home with sinners than religious people. This is a good example, case in point. Went to the house of the Pharisees to eat. Can you imagine that? Okay, let's just. Verse 37, And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, and stood at his feet behind him weeping, and she began to wash his feet with, the, with her tears, and wiped them with the hair on her head, and she kissed his feet, and anointed them with, with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known what man of woman this woman is who is touching him. For she's a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, Teacher, say it. This is the key. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Someone answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said, you have rightly judged. And this is the point here. In both of these stories, particularly in the one in Matthew chapter 18, the person who owed $12 million, using today's terminology, was forgiven because he asked for forgiveness. But he went and found his brother who owed him about $400 and could not forgive him. Why do you think that is so? That is so because a man who had been forgiven much did not appreciate what went into forgiving him. He did not reckon the, the, the forgiveness, even though he received it, he did not quite reckon, register with him, the consequences had he not been forgiven. And therefore, when someone who owed him much less was begging for mercy, he could not find mercy to give. Let me bring you to where we are. You see, in my dealings with you, it is easy, Derek, for me to compare my best with your worst. When I look at what you've done to me, how nasty it is, the reason it becomes so nasty is because I'm comparing your worst with my best behavior. If we were to switch the tables around and compare my worst behavior with your best behavior, it's a totally different thing. But what happens in relationships is we usually diminish the other person's best behavior and escalate their worst behavior. But not only that, we are not cognizant. We are not ever reminding ourselves of the love that got us where we are. If I think back on how God has loved me and out of that love what he has forgiven. If I was to write a catalog of God's forgiveness in my life and where he brought me from and the things he overlooked in my development, 
the mistakes I made and he did not kill me for it. When I appreciate all of that and think and take all of those things in, I know how much God has loved me unconditionally. Not because I earned it. Not because I deserved it. In fact, everyone in this room deserves nothing but hell. But he chose not to send us there. So when we take in all of that and we allow that healthy dose of the love of God to permit our thinking and just say, God, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. When somebody does something that is off or wrong or offending, it's a lot easier to look at. You, you, you can readily put it in perspective. Amen? So the point here today is we have to receive the love of God if we're ever going to give it out. We have to keep ourselves recalibrating your mind of how much God loves you. Constantly. That's the only way you're going to be able to walk in love. So now you're asking the question, how do I do this? I'm going to tell you and then we're going to close. We're going to get out here in good time. Amen. Nobody say amen to that? You want to stay longer? You want to stay longer? I'll leave you here. I'll be gone. <laughs> Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. I don't know who cuts the AC off in this place after I get up. I don't understand it. Pardon me? It's on. It must be under your chair. You're cold. We pray for you after the service. <laughs> Titus chapter 2. <laughs> uh, okay, let, let's start from verse 1. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. Now look at verse 3. The older women, likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderous, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children. You know, when we do the Ephesians passage on marriages, husbands love your wife. I've heard some women say, well, yes, that injunction is only given for husbands to love their wives. Wives are not supposed to love their husbands. Finally, you see it in the scripture. Not only are wives supposed to love their husbands as well, the Bible says the older women should teach them. Who is teaching our younger women here to love their wives, their husbands? Somebody better be doing it. Pardon me? What? 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 BET? That's a problem. That's a problem. But the point I want to make here is when it comes to love, it's not by osmosis. It's not automatic. It has to be taught. It has to be taught. Titus 2 4 says, 
very, very clearly, love must be taught. That's the reason we've taken all these weeks talking about it. If you don't teach it, faith comes by what? By hearing and hearing by the word of God. You have to teach it. You teach what you expect. It's not just going to happen. Many of us came from various backgrounds where things are done so many different ways. But when we come to the house of God, there has to be an expectation of what God wants from us and the only way we're going to learn it is in his word. In his word. We have to teach it. We have to teach it. Now, in teaching it, there is something else we need to be aware of in Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 13. You don't need to turn to it. Jeremiah 29 13. Jeremiah 29 13. You don't need to turn to it. I'm just going to paraphrase it. Simply speaking, Jeremiah says, you will find me, God is saying, when you seek me with all of your heart. And I want to say that to qualify what I'm about to say. It's not just good enough to be taught how to love. Your heart's disposition must be, God, you know, I need to understand your love. I need it like the air I breathe. I need it, I mean, my survival is dependent on it. If you are not like that, if you are not that desperate, you can forget it. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. In other words, this is what I'm saying. This is what I'm saying. You cannot say God should teach you his love, his word about this, about, 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 about his love by giving God a time and say, you know, God, no, I've got five minutes before my next show starts. You know, scandal is about to start in five minutes. Scandal. <laughs> or is it revenge? Or which one is it? It's about to start in five minutes. Okay, God, you have five minutes. So now, in five minutes, download everything about love to me. Now, I'm waiting. <laughs> my, t- my clock has started. Okay, now, you've got ten seconds. You can't do that. If that's our attitude or disposition, you're not going to get it. But if every living, waking moment, you are saying, God, knowing of your love is so important to my development, and it is. That's the only way you grow. That I want you to teach me, show me, manifest your love for me in a real way. You, can't give me time, you cannot give me a time limit on that. You can't. You cannot give him a time limit in that. Your heart and disposition must be, I want it with all of my heart. Nothing else matters unless you do this for me. Unless, do you think God wants to do it? Yes, Absolutely. Absolutely. We handicap him because we give him all the conditions. I have five minutes. It has to be on Monday. And by the way, it cannot be five minutes before breakfast. Jeremiah 29, 13, you seek him with all of your heart. And then, of course, you'll be taught. Titus 2, 4. And last scripture I'm going to give you, Jude. Jude. It's only one chapter in Jude. We use this scripture for prayer. But now you're going to see how it connects. Jude, verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, 
comma, verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God. In other words, Titus 2, 4, you are being taught how to love. You are being taught on love. Jude, verse 20 and 21, edifying, building yourself in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. What happens when you do that? The scripture is telling you, love begins to well in you. It begins to be released in you. You have to cooperate with God. Yes, this is New Testament. Yes, this is a season of grace. Yes. You don't labor for what God has already done. No. You don't approach love as in say, God, please, uh, I, I want to know love. No. It's already in you. You are just praying for the manifestation of what you already have. You are not going to go and say, God, give me love. No, no, no. That's a wrong prayer. That's an Old Testament prayer. It will never be answered. Never. Never. You don't go to God and say, God, give me love. What? How many times is he going to give it? You already have it. You are praying unbelief if you are praying like that. It's in you. It's already here in your belly. What you are praying for, you are thanking him for, for what he has already given you and that you are praying for a release of what you have. It is important you understand that. You are not asking God to give you love. How much love is he going to give you? How much love can you take? He has given you love. The issue is God, I want a release of that love into manifestation. Amen? Amen. Are you guys ready to love on someone tonight? Today? When we get this message and get it right, you guys will see that this entire atmosphere or wherever you are will be like a combustible channel where the energy of God will be so charged because everything God does is by love. Is motivated by love to heal, to prosper, to raise from the dead. Anything you want, it's motivated by love. I showed it to you last week, John 11, verse 5. Lord, the person whom you love is sick. That's the only prayer. And what happened? He showed up. He showed up. Stand to your feet. And mark this time, it's 12 30 today. Mark it now. I'm going to put 30 minutes on the clock for, for the future. But I enjoy your 30 minutes off today. <laughs> Stand to your feet. Pardon me? What? I'm hearing some... They say something else. Thank you very much. What they say is discounted. Amen. Amen. Just lift up your hands before God. Right where you are, in your own language, in your own way, acknowledge him. Thank him for his love to you. Thank him. Thank him for how much you know he loves you. Receive that love right now. Connect to the love of God. Say to yourself, Jesus loves me. Yes, I know. If I don't see a manifestation, if I don't sense a manifestation, the Bible tells me so. That's enough for me. Jesus, I thank you right now. I thank you, Father, for your love. I receive and partake of your love, your everlasting love, your loving kindness, your tender mercies, your faithfulness from generation to generation. I receive of it now, now, now. I bless you for it now, now, Father God, in the name of Jesus. Thank you for loving me. Thank you. If I was the only person on the face of the planet, yes, you still love me. I thank you. I thank you for this love. I thank you, Father God. 
And Father God, as a result of your love towards me, I invite you this week. Count my week. Lead my week. Guide my week. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you, Father God. I thank you for all those you are bringing my way this week. That I will be the instrument and vehicle to touch and bless and love for you. Thank you, Father God. As I've received your love, I will give your love. Freely I've received, freely I give. So, Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you. I'm a love agent. Yes. I'm a love agent. Yes. I'm a love agent. Thank you, Father. We bless you now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.